0: Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much that your voice calls us to be the calm in the world around us. And really, by doing that, we are merely echoing your voice, your voice that is constant, wooing us, warning us, yes, but loving us, too. So guide us to hear your voice through this message we have here this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, Sunday night, we had a real busy time here. We were wrapping up the Shadow Empire, and those of you who came, you know it was a wonderful series. And I still remember I was not feeling good that night. And I got done and I noticed that the church needed to be locked up. So I locked up the church, secured it, got home later than I thought. I should be really because my sheep were baying at me, telling me that uh, they were waiting for me. And we only have two sheep, for those of you who are wondering. And as I went to secure the animals, I was still wearing my suit. So I was being very careful watching where I stepped, because you know how that goes when you've got a little bit of a farmyard out there. And as I came through a gate to where my sheep were, so we have a, our main property, and then there's a gate that goes back to where the animals are, and then the sheep have a pin around near where their shed is at, that are built there. So the sheep were kind of gathering towards their sheep shed, but then they, they saw this lone figure walking out there in the night wearing something different, and how do you think They reacted. It was dark, and so they reacted very differently than they normally would in the evening. In the evening, I'm normally wearing one of those you know, really tough pairs of pant, work pants, uh, kind of a brownish colored. I'm wearing, usually wearing some kind of work shirt, and as I go out there, they, they see me coming. Even if it's really dark, they can see me my form, my shape, and they hear my voice, and they basically run right up to me. But this last Sunday night, I was wearing a suit, I think I ditched the tie at that point. It was pretty warm. And I was wearing interesting-looking clothing. They still heard my voice, but did they come running up to me? What do you think? They didn't. In fact, I still remember getting through the gate, and they came from the pen, and they were standing this far away, and normally one of them, Shauna, would come right up to me and let me pet her and hold her and just love her right before she goes to bed. But she wouldn't do it. She stood at a distance from me, and so then I did something that I normally don't do. I knelt down, kind of like this, feet under you, right? You're wearing dress pants and stuff, and she comes up and sniffs me, looks around me, and then she begins to recognize my voice more and lets me pet her. I, I was thinking about that during this week as I was looking at Psalm 23. Our youth Sabbath next week is focusing on it. Our sermon series for this month is focusing on it. We're taking people from the second coming to having Jesus lead them all the way there. And as I looked at that occurrence in my life, the thought came to me how important it is that voice of the shepherd, but it's even more important as as you get into darker situations for the shepherd to come near, for the shepherd to be not just a voice to you, but to be near you. That's what it took last Sunday night for my sheep, who know my voice, who will hear me wake up in the morning and say something to my kids through the window and will begin to talk to me. Yet that night, when they didn't recognize me, when I didn't seem like who I had been before, they had to, I had to come near to them for them to trust me. And that's what we're talking about this morning. The shepherd's voice can make all the difference, but in these days in earth's history, the shepherd does not call from a distance. You look in Ephesians chapter 1, there's an echo down through time. It says in Ephesians chapter 1 that before the foundations of the world, the Lord spoke or called us. Now, that seems distant if you look back at the creation of the world. But as you get to the life of Jesus, you start noticing that it's closer than that. And as you get to your Christian experience today, it should be even closer than that as well because he comes near to us. As I read my Bible anyway, it's more than his voice soothing and encouraging us. It's more than us trusting him. It's more than that. It's actually him echoing that voice down through time and him taking residence in us. Kind of a scary thought for some, that his presence would actually take residence in us. But that's what Ephesians begins to talk about. It says we can praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who are we praising? The Father. We oftentimes focus on Jesus. We oftentimes focus on the fact of what, the power of the Holy Spirit. But as we look at Ephesians chapter 1, it's, we're praising God, to, praising, praise be to God the, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus comes near, and in his voice, really, we find him pointing us back to the Father. The one that seems a little different. The one that maybe even seems distant. But as we look carefully at this text, I began asking myself the question, first of all, it mentions praising. Praise be to the God and Father. How often do we pause to compliment the Father? And we sing praise songs, whether they're from the hymnal or more contemporary, but how often do we pause in those songs to really compliment the Father? We have weekends where we focus on our parents. But how often do we pause to focus on the Father? And I've already told you many times, my father figure wasn't always the clearest picture of God growing up. But I've grown to understand that every time I see and feel that, that, that beautiful story of Jesus, that really that's just an echo from the Father. That's just really pointing me back to the source of why I feel that way when I read the story of Jesus, why I begin to just long to be with him. It's because really it comes from the heart of a loving Father. And so that's why Paul begins Ephesians 1 and says, Praise be to the Father. And why? Because through Jesus, he's given us every spiritual blessing. And notice it says, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Chose. Not, hey, let's have everybody stand over there on a basketball court and pick and choose the ones I think are the best and the ones who aren't chosen at the end of that feel like the losers, right? No, it's to utter, to say. To utter and to say something about you or me, means that the Father knows our name. The name that we have now and the name that will be written on a stone we find in Revelation chapter 2. The Father knows us, knew us long before this, And so that's why a while back we talked about the plan of salvation that before creating, the Creator planned to save or die for us because He knew us by name. We were that important to Him that He would come that close, that He would go through those circumstances so we would be with Him forever. Even though we walked away, He never did. He continued that proximity. And if you find in Genesis chapter 1 clear examples of this, in Genesis 1, God said, Notice, look at all this speaking that takes place in Genesis chapter 1. What do we have today? An echo of Genesis and a love of the Father, really. Genesis 1 says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Every time you see the light, every time you see the beautiful sky, every time you see that rainbow out there, it's a reminder of the Father's love for you. Every time you see the sky, he said that. Every time you see the dry land and the beautiful lakes, we find record of his voice. Every time you look at the earth and the grass that's all around us now, that's beginning to fade for summer, we find that is evidence of his creative voice. Every time you see the moon in the sky or the sun, that's evidence of his creative voice. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 20, every time you see the fish and the living creatures and the birds, notice all the birds this time of year, just fluttering happily by, flying above you. Every time you see the birds, you hear the Father's voice. Now we're not getting into this whole thing of pantheism or panentheism. We've already talked about that last year. We're talking about nature testifies of the Father, of God. In Genesis one twenty four, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. Those sheep that I went out to greet and they didn't come to me were meant to teach me a lesson about the Father every animal that walks upon this earth if we would pause and ponder and rightly consider them rightly understand them scientifically even as well we would see something that reminds us of the creation story of the father so everywhere i look and you look we look we see that god spoke and so who do you hear the echo from eternity from we hear it in his powerful voice It's even in our very beings. You look in Genesis chapter 1, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Notice he says it, but then does he speak us into existence? No, he actually forms us. But notice before he forms us, there's this creative idea. He speaks, and then he does it. And then we get to Genesis 1 at the end of it in chapter 2. Some people think there's two creation stories, but really what you're talking about is a Jewish writing style here where you have repetition and enlargement. Chapter 1 leads you into chapter 2. It's like a genealogy where it says, here are the generations of you know, Adam, for instance, and it lists everybody off, and then it then shows you more of the story later. Same thing, Genesis 1 gives you a big summary, and then chapter 2 takes you into more detail. So here we have the creation of humanity and the Sabbath. And you notice from these, He does something. Genesis 2, verse 2. On the seventh day, God finished his work which he had made. He rests on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And he blesses. He says something. He's blessing the Sabbath. Every time you gather your children and you pray that blessing for them. That prayer I pray for our children here is a prayer I pray for my children every night. That God would lead them to be the people he'd have them to be. And I'm not just saying for now, all the way through the new, to the new earth, because I want them there with me. It's a, it's a, it's a prayer of a blessing. You say a blessing. You don't just think a blessing. In the Jewish mindset, you would pronounce a blessing. You would say something. So here we find he does something. He rests, and then he speaks. And that's why every week we still have seven days, and that's why you can't necessarily explain it astronomically. You can explain a lot of things with the moon and the sun, but as you look at why do we have a seven-day week, How do we explain that? Who chose those? We find it's right here. God himself blesses the seventh day, makes it holy, because in it he rested from all his work which he had created and made. And then, what's he do in chapter 2, verse 7? Because you keep reading down. He forms man of the dust of the ground and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul or a living being. So Genesis paints a picture That the voice of God is creative, that the voice of God is life-giving, that the voice of God is our words of blessing, words that we're still reading now which are proof, proof that his creative words can still change lives today. The fact that we're even still reading them, that they've been preserved all of these years is proof of his power of his words. Genesis two goes on, as you go looking through Genesis two and three, especially, verse 16, "Jehovah God commanded the man saying, "Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat." Now who is this? Before, we have Elohim mostly referring to the, to the creative power of the Godhead. But as you look here, we' be getting into this word, "the Lord God, or some Yahweh is mostly the best way of looking at it, commands the man, talks to this man personally. Here you find some of the very first evidences of a shepherd. Now you say, well, it doesn't say the word shepherd here, but what does a shepherd really do? As you watch, a shepherd protects his flock. As you watch, a shepherd leads his flock. As you watch, a shepherd, he sustains. You look at Psalm 23, there are so many aspects there. But here, long before Psalm 23, it says, the Lord, whom David is talking about in Psalm 23, tells us, stay away from the tree of knowledge of good, and evil. eat of this tree. And you all know how sheep like trees, don't you? If you've had fruit trees, or you've been, had sheep near your fruit trees, you know exactly what they go for. In fact, I've seen them literally, when the gate accidentally gets left open, they bolt, they go right for those fruit trees that are not even secured at all. What do we do? Well, we get close to the tree, and then eventually the serpent woos us and gets us away from the warning, and we begin to eat of this tree. Humanity falls, if you will. Or if you want to use the shepherd analogy, we begin like sheep to go astray. But does God give up on us? If every time a sheep got into the vineyard or the orchard or your garden and stomped things down, you said, I'm taking it to the slaughterhouse, you wouldn't have a very good flock after that. In fact, if you were really close to your sheep, it would show, at that point, very much callousness not a lack of closeness. So if we would treat animals with that much kindness, then look at how God treats us. You go over to Genesis chapter 3. It says, they begin to clothe themselves with fig leaves. You can read about that. And verse 8, they heard the voice of Jehovah God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Jehovah amongst the trees of the garden. So he calls to them, where are you? Where are you? Did God really himself change like I changed my garb? I I came out there with with uh, unfamiliar clothing for those sheep? Now, we don't find an example of that. Who is wearing the unfamiliar clothing in this text? It's the the people, right? They're the ones who've clothed themselves in that. They're the ones who've gone away. They're the ones who hear his voice and, and don't come close. They're the ones, he is exactly the same. He has not changed. And notice what they said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid. I was afraid. Adam says, I heard your voice. That voice that I know created the world, that voice that told us about the Sabbath and blessed the Sabbath day, that voice that calls to us in the cool of the day, that means very early God is out there interacting with them. God is talking with them god is walking with them you find that song i come to the garden alone it's not just talking about creation it's also talking way down about how jesus died on the cross how mary sees him in that garden afterwards and then it says to us are we walking with the lord well look at this text it's pretty clear that he calls to them and they choose not to listen to his voice and come close and they find themselves hiding and so you find from genesis all the way down through the old testament Every story, every encounter from every patriarch and every prophet is God just trying to speak to his people. Take some examples. You look at Exodus, for instance. Moses goes up on the mountain. God wants to speak directly to them. What did the people do after they start hearing the voice of God? You say, well, that's because they're fallen. Really. You look at it carefully. God gives in to their weakness, and he allows Moses to be the intermediary. And yeah, in a way, it points forward to Jesus. We understand that. But as I read my Bible very clearly at least as I get over to the book of Hebrews, God wants to have each one of us be our own teacher. No intermediary, just God teaching each one of us. So as we look through the stories of the Old Testament, this idea of God speaking to us, of God calling to us, of God trying to get us all to come follow him continues through the Old Testament. And young people, here's your answer for your FBI sheet. Those of us who have our Bibles will take it out. Isaiah chapter 2. I won't put this one on the screen until after we read it from our Bibles. The whole chapter, you can read on your own. I'm going to look at a few verses here. Isaiah chapter 2. That's a big jump from Genesis, but I'm just summary saying, if you were to read from Genesis down to this point, you will find that same record of God calling to his people. In fact, he calls his people a flock, you get later on in Isaiah. And here in Isaiah chapter 2, notice it says the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. These are God's people, right? And it shall come to pass in the last days. What's going to happen? Something's going to happen in the last days. When are the last days? Read Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. God, who in various ways and various times spoke in the past, has now in these last days spoken to us by his son. So as we look from the life of Jesus onward, really, as you look at Bible history from that point on, the last days were being ushered in. Was it the time of the end? No, what we find it was preparing for the time of the end, according to Hebrews chapter 1. So any time from the point of Jesus on, we're looking at the last days. Didn't Paul and them believe that they turned the world upside down by taking the message to the then known world? So as we look at Isaiah chapter 2, this is down at the very end. Past the time of Jesus, we know it for sure. And as we read more specifically down below here, we'll find it's talking about our day. Shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations will flow into it. So as you look at this, this is talking about a last day gathering of people. And how many nations? All nations. All nations. You see that again in Revelation 14, where you have every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. So what we find is a direct parallel to the very last book of the Bible, where God is really just calling all his people together at the end of time. That's really what the shepherd's voice is doing. And they'll flow into it. And many people shall go and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us of his ways. We will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So the church, the God's people, will deliver this message to the world. And he will judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. Hasn't happened yet, obviously, so we're living in those days, obviously. We're looking forward to those days. Their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. You look at Jesus' words in Matthew 24. Wars and rumors of war. It's still happening, right? So this is still future even as of our reading it here this morning. This ultimate result of the gathering. Right now is the gathering time and the future is going to be the time of peace after that gathering. O house of Jacob, come ye, let us walk in the light of the Lord. You keep reading this and it talks about the great day of God. You keep reading this through Isaiah and you get down and it's not just talking about Jews. It's talking about eunuchs and people of other nations keeping the Sabbath. So as we look at Isaiah chapter 2, through Isaiah we are told of a last day attempt by the Lord, the same Lord of Genesis, the same Lord of creation, to call together his people for a revival and movement of destiny. A movement that will usher in his return. A movement that will usher in him teaching the people directly face to face. Is this already underway? I believe it is. If we've responded to his voice, it's evidence this is already underway. If we're here today, it's evidence that part of it at least is underway. As we look at Isaiah chapter 2, it's going to become worldwide. Nations are going to stream to the Lord, and the Lord will teach them. And so that's why I underline these words. Many peoples would go and tell people, that's us. That's our role right now. Now, do we have the voice of Jesus? No we will actually basically be echoing what the Bible says, the words of the Lord, and lead them to him who will teach them. That is the ultimate destiny of the church. So I'll be retired eventually, in a way, and you all will be the ones being sent to tell others, hopefully, more and more, because the Lord himself is going to teach us of his ways when we get to that day. He's going to be the teacher, and I believe it starts now. It starts now in those private study times with the Lord. It starts now when you go out and begin witnessing to others and the still small voice says, this is the way, go talk to this person over there. That is between you and the Lord. and He is instructing you now. That's evidence that it's already begun. But imagine what it's going to be like when we all walk in there and we see him face to face and we sit at his feet and listen to his words directly. No imperfect preacher getting in the way we'll have the perfect preacher, the the shepherd himself, talking to us. Isaiah 56 goes on, if you read further in Isaiah, Thus saith Jehovah, the Lord, Keep justice, do righteousness, for my salvation is near, and my righteousness to be revealed. That's kind of where we're at right now. We're revealing his righteousness, we're showing what he's done. Blessed is a man that doeth this, and the son of man that holdeth it fast, that keeps the Sabbath from profaning it, that keeps his hand from doing any evil. It links this idea of Sabbath somehow changing your mind. Uh, I remember I heard somebody say that the other day at a class, and I thought, how does the Sabbath really do that? If, you're, if you just keep a Jewish Sabbath, it has not, no real change on your mind at this point, since the cross. But if you're keeping a Sabbath where you're noticing that the day is a day of the Lord Jesus himself, then, then that day takes on a whole new meaning. This day takes on a whole new meaning. And it, then you recognize it's the Lord changing you. This day and the next day and the next day leading up to every Sabbath where you commune with him, with a group of people. Or if I'm by myself, it's still a day that he's blessed. Some people say, I could worship God any day of the week. I've heard that. And I do worship God every day of the week. This morning I was spending time with him and my personal devotions with him before I even came here with you fine folks. But there is something different. And if you object to that, read the story of Joshua, where Joshua has come before the Lord, and Joshua is getting ready to pull the sword. He thinks this is maybe an enemy. And the Lord says, Take off your sandals, for the place that you stand is holy ground. Now, Jericho, that land over there with pagan idols and all of that, and the Amorites, holy ground, it's what God makes holy that is holy. So when he occupies a space or a time, it is holy. And for me to then say it applies to another space or another time that he has not designated, that means I'm taking upon myself the prerogatives and thinking I have the power of God. That is a dangerous place to be. He has set aside the seventh day himself. He has said and pronounced a blessing on it, a creative blessing on it. So every week that we come together and we think of the one, the Lord of the Sabbath himself, Jesus, then it changes us. It really can change us. Because we're saying, yes, this is a time you've set aside. Yes, I'm trusting you with my work and my family and everything else because I'm laying aside that and I'm trusting you. And as a result, it flips a switch that helps your hand not do evil. Does it prevent it altogether? No, you still have choices to make. But the Sabbath stands as a way of changing your heart if you will recognize the Lord is in it. We find that they do eventually recognize it. Even the foreigner says joins himself to Jehovah saying, Jehovah will surely separate me from his people, they think. Neither let the eunuchs say, behold, I am a dry tree. So the foreigner comes, the eunuch comes, and guess what they do? They keep the Sabbath. They keep the Sabbath. Even the foreigners. And Jehovah says this of the eunuchs and the the ones who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my promise or my covenant. To them will I give in my house, within my walls, a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. Imagine the one who never had children. Imagine the one who felt like they were an outcast from Israel. God's saying, I'm going to give you a new name, a name of a son or a daughter, an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And we find Jesus saying that in Revelation chapter 2 later on, a new name. So all nations, one flock, all outcasts will be welcome. Anybody from any background can be welcome to this flock. And you'll have the name of Jesus. Whatever, that, whatever name he gives you will be the name. That's where we go to Psalms now. And Psalms is where we're going to eventually spend a lot more of our time. Psalm 28 says, Blessed be Jehovah, the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my prayers my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart has trusted in him. I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth. And with my song, I will praise him. Why? The Lord is their strength. He is a stronghold of salvation to his anointed. And notice verse 9. Save thy people and bless thine inheritance. Be their shepherd and bear them up forever. Notice the blessing and the shepherd go together there. That's what it was like in creation when he blesses the Sabbath day and he has his people right there with him. They were his people, the people of his inheritance, the people he gave this whole world to on that first week. And he still utters the same promise down through in Psalm 28. He tells us that if we will allow him to be our Lord, then he will give us an inheritance, he will be our shepherd, he will save us. Do I trust his words then? Or does he appear to me to be a pastor come home late with a, with a suit on and I don't recognize him? If you hear his voice, if, if you will listen and I will listen, then he will be our shepherd. He will draw near to us, and then we will know that he is, well, he is truly our shepherd, like Psalm 23 says. A psalm of David, who definitely knew sheep, the Lord is my shepherd, or some translations say it can be pastor, for instance. I will not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for whose sake? His name's sake. Though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That is proximity. That is coming closer to you in those dark moments than he has ever been. And that's what he wants to do for each person in this room, each person outside of this room, each person in the cities and the counties surrounding us. He wants to call them all together and lead them as one flock. So who's the shepherd? Well, we know who it is. Jesus, Jesus himself said, I am the good shepherd. Notice he does this with a couple of phrases in the Israelite economy. He uses, he says, I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd. Why? Israel saw themselves as the vine. And as you start reading through Jesus' rebukes to them, there, there were some shortcomings there. And really, they were to be grafted to him. They were really to be having the Messiah as their root. And, as, and they were to be the branches And he does the same thing with this idea of shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd, which would ring a bell if you knew your Old Testament scriptures like the Jewish people did in those days. They would be like, all right, wait a minute. The shepherds abused the flock. Look through Isaiah and Ezekiel, for instance. And so he's saying, I'm the good shepherd. That's also something that would apply to the Messiah in the Old Testament. And he says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one you've been looking for. You've run around after all these teachers and all these different forms of hope, but I am the one. That's what Jesus is saying. I am the good shepherd. What does the good shepherd do? According to the Old Testament, he feeds his flock. According to the Old Testament, he gathers those who have been scattered. He he pushes aside the ones who have scattered them, defends his flock. And according to Jesus, he says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is how you really know that Jesus is the shepherd. He lays down his life for you and for me. All you have to do is think back, maybe to some dark moments in your life. I don't have to think very far back because it's my teen years, really, when it was the darkest. Was he there for me? Was he right there in that situation for me? Ask yourself the question. If you look carefully, you'll find that he was there during those dark moments. And when he thought it was the darkest and you couldn't stand it anymore, that still small voice said, I am here. I love you. There, it maybe didn't take on those words, but that's what he does in all of our situations. He will come right into them and lay his life down for us. And notice he says, other sheep I have which are not of this fold. So he's calling the disciples and he's going to have them become a global movement, but he has others as well that he's going to call and they will hear my voice and become one flock. Maybe my overemphasis on hearing the words of God, focusing on the words of Jesus is a counterbalance to the opposite where we just see the Bible as facts. Maybe that's fair to say. I have overemphasized this. The reason why I've overemphasized how much time we need to spend with the words of Jesus is because I truly believe that the words of Jesus, if we look at All of our messages, especially our 28 fundamental beliefs, we will find a call from the Savior in each one of them that echoes, merely echoes, the words of Jesus. And so we need to hear His voice. Read John 14. You keep reading John 14 and and looking at it carefully, at least I looked at it this week for memory verse. And it mentions this idea of if you know the voice of Jesus, you know the Father. Because they're saying, well, how do we know the Father? Jesus says, you have my words. That's how you know the Father. If God the Father makes you nervous, or if Jesus seems to be the the one who soothes your soul when you think of God because you have a disconnect with God, the other picture of God, then realize that the very words of Jesus are telling you what the Father is like. That's what I've got to keep reminding myself. If you had an absentee father like I did, or you had situations where you didn't see that perfectly, or maybe you didn't reflect that perfectly as a parent, realize realize that the answer is to go to the words of Jesus and be changed. And so Jesus is the good shepherd. He lays down his life. He mentions it again. And I believe then, if that is the kind of person that we are following, then we can trust him in the darkest night. We can trust him in the darkest moments because we know he went through the darkest night of all. Right there on the cross, imagine there you are, not just being tortured, but being publicly ridiculed in front of family, friends, passers-by. That was really why the Romans developed this instrument of torture, was to totally expose you to shame in that society. It was almost the worst, the worst, other than being disowned, the worst punishment. Was to be publicly exposed and shamed, and so imagine there he is experiencing that, and yet he cries out to his father during that darkest time. This shows us the kind of shepherd we have. He will call out in the car, in the darkest night. He will lead us through those nights because he himself has been through them. And so, why does his, What does his voice sound like throughout the Bible? If I was to summarize it in one slide, in the Garden of Eden, I imagine him sounding sad and with longing, hoping that somehow they would, they would just repent and or this never would have even happened, you know? Garden of Gethsemane, I imagine him crying out to his father, heartbreaking cries to his father, if it's possible, take this away from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he sees us making the decision. And the cross, that piercing and forgiving and yet soft voice, because it was hard to breathe and hard to take and make those words but it pierced those around him to the point where somebody cries out, surely this was the Son of God. The Pentecost, which is coming later on in another segment, imagine him patiently instructing them for those number of days before he goes up to heaven and they still don't get it. They still don't fully get it. They still think he's going to set up his kingdom and he has to gently instruct them, patiently instruct them, tell them you're going to have power to take this good news to the world. You don't look like much right now, but trust me, hope in me, Trust me, you will have that power. Second coming, I I believe, as we're looking at his last call later on, that it is a pleading call. Coming to each individual in a way that they can hear it most clearly. He may use you and me to help echo that. But I imagine him going to each person, each person I love dearly, I'm going to try to influence, but it's his child ultimately, and so he is going to them individually as well, pleading with them, Saying, it's not too late. Please come. Please follow me. I will help you through all of that. And so the second coming to me is a pleading call to unite with his flock and bring all his people home. And the question I had as I wrestled with this text this week in Psalm 23 he's my shepherd, right? But am I listening? Or am I finding myself at a distance with him? You know, the shepherd's voice can make all the difference and I know his voice has been going all the way down through time, and I know his voice echoed to me through that experience with my sheep. There I was, like I mentioned at the beginning, them seeming skittish, but once again, me crouching down at their level, reaching out my hand, them sniffing and coming closer all the way to here, and then me being able to cup my little sheep's head in my hands and say, it's all right. And I could tell that she was really wondering what I was wearing because he glances around sometimes can't read their mind but i do take one conclusion from this whole episode the lord is still speaking he draws near to us in ways that he literally wants to cup our heads in his hand and speak soothing words to us and lead us to where we'll be safest for during the night which is what i did and feed us and provide for us but am i listening because I am living and you are living in the darkest times. All you've got to look at is Revelation 13. You'll start finding from there on a lamb like beast that is not Jesus trying to lead people astray. You find threats of nuclear holocaust and all kinds of things in our world today. You find there are all those dismal pictures, but there is this beautiful picture of Jesus that He is calling us to be ready for His return. And that's why I want to encourage you to follow the Savior, know His voice. Know his words, and he will direct you all the way. That's my experience in my life. I just wanted to share it with you. And I pray that as we sing this song, I will follow thee, my Savior. Whatever has caused you not to hear his voice, or myself, or if you want to recommit to him, please stand and sing this song to him.
1: Savior wheresoever my lot may be Where thou goest I will follow Yes my Lord I'll follow thee I will follow thee My Savior Thou didst I'll gladly follow Thee. I will follow Thee, my Saviour. Thou didst shed Thy blood for me, and though all men should forsake Thee, by Thy grace. I Father Forsake thee by thy grace, I'll follow thee. Though thou leadest me through affliction, poor, forsaken though I be, thou wast destined to afflict and I only follow thee, I will follow thee, my saviour. Thou didst share. the ways before me, and I still will follow Thee. I will follow Thee, my Savior, Thou
0: We just want to say to you lord is my shepherd i shall not want He maketh me to lie down in green pastures he leadeth me beside the still waters he restoreth my soul lord restore our souls may we continue to follow you all the way into that beautiful river of life that new beautiful city and the earth made new we pray in jesus name